Good morning, people of this planet. This is your host, Hacker Mike, coming at you at a late hour of 7.30 in the morning. The sun is already up. People are already moving about. It's Saturday, and I decided that I would spend some time in this morning learning some Blender. And I have a little report on that topic. Well, first of all, there is no generic script recorder or macro recorder that is of any real value in Blender. There seems to be no concept of an intermediate representation so that all actions are direct. And it's a C program, even if it has a Python API. So for our purposes, Blender is going to need some reworking in order to make it into what I really think is necessary. It's gonna need some work. But that's okay, because that's what this is about. But I did learn quite a lot. And I started to um, develop my first idea for the rune stones in Blender. Taking a block and a text and then using an operation, Boolean, subtraction or difference to carve out the text in the block. So that looks pretty cool. I can also do hand-drawn carvings in blocks. So the basis is there for some type of game for drawing runes. You could also edit text. You have a script console but you don't have a recorder so the scripting is basically all add-on as opposed to intrinsic in Emacs everything is intrinsic guess you gotta love Lisp but we're gonna get there So how are you guys doing today? We haven't gotten too many um, listeners the last two episodes, but the um, Beauty of Life episode got quite a few listens. So whoever's sharing it, I guess it's my dad, thanks a lot. I guess he's busy last couple of days with visitors. Got some coffee. So 
Yeah, still thinking about work. And uh, thinking about things. Thinking about life. Yeah, so we have... Uh, have this election coming up soon. And I guess it matters in terms of not the single person, but like the choice that's being made. But I still don't see how my vote is going to change anything. I guess I could vote for a couple of candidates, a couple of issues that I might think are interesting for local stuff. content of this podcast going. It's just some guy talking to himself. Well, that is kind of the content of this podcast. At least for most of the episodes. I don't have the phone ringing off the hook for people wanting to join and be associated with this mess. consistent we are consistent like the bus like the city bus and the garbage man consistent like the garbage man. We've been pumping out these episodes every day, almost, with few exceptions. And somebody's listening. I don't know whether that even means listen, somebody's downloading and I'm not getting much feedback. But the therapy session has been helping me. And the walks have been helping me. Yeah, this week I'm going to push on my diet a little harder because I have been taking breaks from it. Yesterday I had some olives and some cheese and some smoothies and some tomato juice. 
So today we're going to cut that out. Let's see what we can do. Whoa, is that a tree falling down? So, I totally forgot what I was just saying. My diet. Who cares about my diet? Yeah, so I've been thinking about... These gaming ideas. And you can also, uh, record the user interface, but for replaying, it's just, I'm just thinking about this blender thing again. It's really focused on one way of usage. So this is kind of like, like the compiler. It's focused on one user set, one way of usage. And it's kind of hard to uh, change that bias. But in C, C++, you can, you can create interfaces, even on the binary level, it would be possible to, from the side, do profiling, tracing, and even some kind of data collection recording, just like we talked about with the introspector. We can see inside, and we can um, capture, capture at least, and in theory also modify, if you're the ultimate hacker, it's possible. Unintended usage. Looks like the plant lady's got some new plants for sale. So, 
we're gonna do we're gonna have to get into this now enough is dilly dallying the dilly dallying we gotta pick a topic Spin the wheel. Break the deal, face the wheel. Oh, we've been... We've been, uh... using the wheel <laughs> we've been using the wheel for people who break the deal at home for my son as a funny way to think about it This is a really bad podcast so far. It's like, what the hell is he talking about? How long are we going to go on? <sighs> well, the short story is it's harder to actually modify an existing piece of software than you'd think. lot of details go into it and there is no general accepted model of the world every project's different so even if we have the source code the source code has instructions and in the end it all bakes down to the Gödel function down to the number down to the point where you don't know what the program's gonna do. Seems frustrating, doesn't it? Seems frustrating. And you can break things down to different levels. And you can come up with different automations. Different analysis. Or different representations. But there's no real representation that's just going to give meaning 
to everything. Because in the end, what we've discovered is that meaning is aesthetic. It is a sensory, unexplainable sensory perception. Now we could have figured this out earlier, and I'm sure we knew it, but sometimes you have to do the fool's errand. Sometimes you have to go down the path of stupidity to become wiser. So I guess we then get into picking some, I guess we have two or three different types of things going on. We have survival of the fittest, where systems, well we have systems of art that select artists. We have systems of computers, systems of computing that select programs. You've got app stores and play stores and different markets. You have different video game markets. Selecting candidates, creating some kind of competition. We've got open source projects vying for contributors for resources. So I looked at some of these rune stones, the originals, and a lot of them, a lot of them had like a dragon or a serpent on them, and they had the text carved into the uh, serpent. That looked pretty cool. A lot of them were quite elaborate. Or telling some kind of story. It would be cool to have this big stone. And it's actually quite difficult to model stones in Blender. So I looked into that. It's all about the polygons. So I can tell you some stuff that I learned. Let's just talk about things that we learned. And then maybe we can get into something deeper. So we learned that in Blender you start out with a block. And a block has six points six faces or maybe it's eight points 
8.6 faces and um, that's a simple polygon so you can't if you apply the tools of um, sculpting to that polygon by default it won't um, you can only push those eight points around right so in order to actually sculpt something or carve something into that block you have to break it up and there's an auto surface function it's like alt d or something I forget the name but it does dynamic um, splitting up or surfacing of the surface so when you apply a chisel or a sculpting tool to it it will um, the dynamic sculpting tool will um, automatically split up that text uh, the, that area and it'll create a, um, a more detailed polygon for you but that increases your polygon count so in 3d modeling the polygon count is important so this is all kind of getting interesting in terms of um, memory and performance and stones also you know require high polygon counts now a font when I create a font it uses a lower polygon count I extruded the font and I beveled it but it wasn't as many polygons as if I was using the sculpting tool the sculpting tool the dynamic sculpting tool really takes a hit now I assume that I might have found a chisel tool or a drill tool and maybe we can create some new tools for creating precision um, polygons in terms of making changes to something without having to um, do as much in terms of adding in points adding in details maybe we can make tools for carving text that when you apply it it makes carvings like the font would do and these could be some interesting um, algorithms that we could probably learn it's like choose a text style choose a font and then start carving and you can only carve along the areas that would be acceptable to match an existing letter and that's an interesting combinational problem like what strokes of these could match a letter And this kind of gets into the text recognition problem we discussed before. But I was thinking of more on an autonomous stage. 
or simpler stage. Like simplifying the user's movement. Or requiring more force to make a cutting in the stone. Like a chisel. Like you'd have to hit it with a hammer and go in a certain direction. Yeah, I think that's an interesting topic to think about. Like chiseling words into stones carving into wood and using different tools for that. I'm sure it's been done and studied. We have to do some more research. But to basically choose between different paths to limit the choices of, of, of line shapes to those that would match letters in an alphabet. To simplify it, I think that might be interesting. Something that could be visualized. But, um, seems like a lot of work to do this stuff in Blender. So <clears throat> if we take a constructive viewpoint, instead of doing stuff on the UI, we, we can consider if we can construct everything that can be done in the UI from the command line or the script console. But that might not even be possible from I'm starting to get skeptical if that's even possible. And then I suppose you could directly instantiate C objects. I mean, maybe it is possible. Maybe they wrapped all the C objects in Python. They just didn't expose the interfaces between two C objects as a Python scriptable interface. But that's something that compiler technology can definitely do. It's like we have this C function calling this C function and we want to create an intermediary between the two to describe it in Python. That is doable. And we could stop it in the debugger, inspect the function call, find the source code, look how it's doing. And this is all definitely doable. getting a little bit set up and you probably want to compile your own version of blender 
but even as an, an attacker, as a hacker, as an outsider, as the other, it is possible. These little free libraries, I should actually bring some of my books there. machine. I saw one of those books. <laughs> that brings back some memories. We haven't talked about time machines on this episode or this podcast yet. We talked about portals and jumps. Have we talked about jump rooms? Stargates? Fantastic voyages? Let's get back to some computer stuff that we know about. So we can intercept a call in code, and we can look at how it was defined in source. We can look at the compiler intermediate representation. And the question then becomes, We have all the debugging information, and we know everything about how the function is called, all the parameters. I guess you could optimize some out. But in the end, we're going to have some registers that have the data that we want. So can't we just collect those registers? and stop the program at that instruction pointer and collect the data we want. And if we can do that, like we dereference those pointers and give access to other objects, we're going to need some way to do all of this in Python from inside the scripting console, I suppose. But really, we just want to generate a script. So we're kind of getting into the question of how do you script out what are users doing on the inside of the program, not just the outside. So we can start by recording all the inputs. And like X Windows, we can do like a Windows recording. And we can record all these Windows events because there is a system for that. But there's not a system for the inside. There's the kernel, which lets you get at like files and memory and stuff. But the user space and even the um, Even sending mouse events, that is kernel. So when you're interacting with the program, everything 
that goes to that program goes basically through the kernel. That's the I.O. system. And everything that happens in the code is the user space. So even sending keystrokes to the console is user space to the kernel interface. It's not actually happening in the program itself. It's happening through the kernel, through the hardware, through the keystrokes. And there's also operating system level components like Windows components and so forth, which X Windows and all that stuff that let you do recording. <clears throat> so I suppose we could start by recording the keystrokes and replaying them for Blender. And then once we have a script to do something, then we could actually analyze what's going on inside. There's profiling that lets you show what functions are being called. That's some kind of generic thing. There's debugging, you can set breakpoints. There is the Linux perf system that we talked about. also just read the source code and make make some assessments of that. We can index the source code. We can study the connection between the Python and the uh, C, the bindings. So we can do more exploratory work on this. But until we go in and understand the model, the architecture of the code, how it's put together, we can't really conceive of it. So let's talk about that then. So we have some black box that we're interacting with. We're trying out different things. We're trying to build a model of it. trying to build a model. Now we can just go in and read documentation. We can read source code, as we said. try and understand it. So 
we have this um, okay I think we're getting somewhere now <clears throat> so we have this um, script that we're trying to do we've recorded some actions let's say we watch some movie some blender time-lapse Let's say we have some blender time-lapse. Morning, guys. So, we can what we're getting at here is that we have a model well okay on the topic of recording time lapses it should also be possible to learn what's going on from the front end morning should be possible to learn what's happening on the front end and then create some kind of machine learning model that could watch frames of a video and determine based upon the actions on the front end what the actions of the back end are so let's say that we would capture also then the screen while we're doing it the individual frames and we could even go far as far as to save every single step to file or snapshot the memory with a dump so we could create a core file and then just compare the entire core, one core to the other. Morning, Mr. Rowling. But um, the core will be huge. So really, we want to know what instructions were executed. And this was where we get into profiling, machine instruction counters, and all that stuff. So we can interrupt the execution of the processor and query its registers. We could sample it randomly. We could sample it at certain points. Now profiling inserts that sampling into the binary, basically. So I'm starting to think that the Blender is a more apt system for a bootstrap and for looking at than, let's say, an editor, Emacs editor. <clears throat> because 
it gives you a direct sensory experience. And you can make games and you can do all types of crazy stuff in there already. So that so that it's um if we want to understand the human sensory and aesthetics we, and point at constructed models and how they create reactions, then Blender is really a better way to do it. Because I can say load these models or execute these instructions and it creates a sensory experience directly. Just like we were doing in our talk where we were telling you a story, we're constructing some kind of reality and then we are going off of the sensory experience of that reality, of that experience, of that thing, of that simulation, or whatever it is. <clears throat> and, um... I think that if we created a way to do better recordings, then we might see more sharing of recordings, and then we might increase the space of data available to us for, for study. So by, by providing a methodology, method for doing something, you're going to necessarily um, with adoption, get actual more instances or usages or resources attached to it. Okay. So, what if we could create a model of Blender in Blender? What if we could inspect What if we could create an inspection of the rendering process or the user interface or like the entire architecture and create a 3D model of that architecture in Blender? And then you could have a form of reflection or introspection or self-recognition where <coughs> When the uh, rendering system is rendering a um, copy of the data that represents the rendering system, then it's rendering itself, or representation of itself, so that it is self-referential. Is that possible? So when the code is being fed and that a plastic dinosaur. When the code is being fed, a copy of the code has input. Oh I do have a mask with me, good. That kind of changes my whole plan.
So, we're going to be able to And this is kind of interesting because if we have a, a block, let's say a column representing the memory, and each address in that memory is at a different point, we still don't have, and you have it scaled, right? So if we create like a 3D model of the memory, and you scale it down, now we don't have to subdivide it into polygons yet. This is kind of what we're learning. So <clears throat> we don't need to put every single memory address of the code onto this column. Right. We can just start with the layout. And you've got virtual machine addresses and we can have big chunks. It's like, here's the text segment, here's the data segment. And then uh, we could create different views where we zoom in, or we could just actually zoom in. Now, I'm hoping that in Blender, when we zoom in on a section, we could add in polygons to that model that will then disappear in the next frame. Otherwise, we would zoom in, clip it, create a new model, um, a new file, or whatever. So if you follow what I'm saying is we don't want to necessarily um, store all the addresses of everything inside of the 3D model. I guess we could though. So we could just do a description of the memory as one, and then we could do a description of the time as another. Now the time is interesting because the timeline would be the actual instruction pointers. So we could create a movie that shows the actual instructions being executed over time. And then we could try and highlight key frames Again, this is kind of getting back to my idea of using a virtual machine and modifying a virtual machine to dump out all this data. But um, so now we're going to reduce the scope of this because the blender machine is too big. 
It's just too much. So we're going to look at some toy problems. We're going to look at a Hello World first. And we're going to build up a set of examples. We're going to construct examples in some type of system, step-by-step step building it up. And uh, this is kind of where I was getting into the idea of meaning as a construction. Constructing steps. Constructing steps to explore, permutate over sets. So if we get into modeling, as um, permutations of languages or language-based modeling where you have these symbols you have combinations of symbols and rules of those in lower level systems so we can visualize it on the lower level we can visualize it on the higher level we can connect these two together somehow through some kind of transformation Good morning guys connect everything together They're going fast on their bikes. But my question is, why do I have to go fast? Why does it matter how fast I go? I'm just walking around. Why are we in a rush to go everywhere all the time? When you can be quite happy going for a walk. Enjoying nature. Because the senses the aesthetics of walking are actually greater than that of bicycling, except maybe, sure, you get to see more beautiful things faster. And going at high speed is fun. But walking slowly is more pleasing. And this is quite the scene here, with the leaves on the water. <sighs> Ray tracing, lots of polygons.
Lots of polygons. All right. So, So just thinking about work again. Okay, so let's get back to this. So we have different views. We're gonna have like modeling of languages and rules. We're gonna have implementation of those high level and low level representations different level of representations and different levels of visualizations visualizations of transformations again as steps and really what this gets down to is understanding these lower level steps and lower level transformations and being able to reverse engineer them. And that also, again, comes down to assigning meaning to things. So we can look at how the um, user interface system in something like Blender allows you all these different options, these different windows you can click on. So you can send an event over here, you can send an event over here. And this is some kind of interaction between the X window system as well, or the windowing system. Just kind of tied into the operating system. So when you run your program in X Windows, it gives the operating system another layer. You always see these nice layered models. So insert a model of the layers here. Make it 3D. And let's just visualize the events of mouse clicks and keyboard clicks. 
of some time lapse. Oh, they put a portage on here where there was a public toilet. That's great. That is great. No more people pooping on the canal. Hey, I wonder if I can make the huge walk today. So, 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 okay. So we have this visualization of all of these different layers. And we just want to see how these events are flowing. And we kind of want to assign the memory addresses to just like points or rays on those layers. Like sure, they're all memory addresses. So we can lay it all out in memory. And when an event goes to an object, it's actually going to an address in memory. We could do that. It might be useful to map it out. Then we have the user interface as a memory block. It's two-dimensional. So we could see the click here. But then when the click goes into that object, it goes into a one-dimensional memory space. So it goes from two-dimensional to one-dimensional. We want to see that layout. And then from the one-dimensional space, we want to see like components and objects, like some kind of UML diagram that lays out the memory back onto an object model. And, you know, the debugger does this for us. So we basically want to see the debugger view. And see how, and see the profile trace, and see how those events go through different function calls. Then we want a color of them. Now, K Cache Grind has some really great visualizations. And if that, those could be exported into Blender or integrated with some 3D, that would be awesome. 
So again, it is displaying on the screen. And in that case, we want to take the GUI elements, inspect them, and then transform those directly into some elements. So maybe we can actually take screenshots of these things through the windowing system, through the rendering system, maybe through some user libraries, and get closer at assigning meaning. Especially if they use something like GTK or KDE, or some like standard libraries that we could spend some time on. might be actually interesting. Might actually be interesting. So what do we got? Well then we've also got the Java runtimes and all that stuff. So maybe we can turn the Blender into Python objects interacting. <clears throat> and transform the uh, C calls into Python calls. Where the C won't be able to call C anymore. And this is kind of getting into this whole event bus and all that. More layers, more transport, more tax, more cost. <laughs> yeah, so And there really doesn't seem to be an effect system for Blender either, so we don't know um, what is the effect of something. You can't undo everything. And um, <clears throat> maybe we can be more transactional about it. And once we start this decoupling, we can get there. But I'm really liking this idea of not taking screenshots of these screens, but actually creating 3D models of these screens. So we want some kind of window interface to Blender thing that will take the rendering from some Windows Manager and actually render it on a 3D. That would be insanely useful. And even the text interface, even my Emacs, 
like be able to capture the screen, but then to bevel it or to extrude it and treat it as a model. That would be insanely useful. Insanely useful. So, <clears throat> I'm liking this idea so far. Now, <clears throat> well, I'll just give a little shout out to uh, Billy Bones for uh, his Pledge of Allegiance episode. I actually listened to that recently and I liked it. And he brought up some good points. And we have to think about the Walk Through the Mind podcast, which is kind of similar to this podcast. And I know he retweeted me, so thank you, Billy Bones. If you're listening, man, shout out to you. And um, I should thank my listeners more often. Especially since I only have two or three of them right now. But that's okay, because we're a small community. And we are getting deep into the deep, deep, deep. Deep, deep, deep into it. Like, how deep can you really go? So we want to basically create a 3D windowing system in Blender somehow. Or instead of projecting to an X window, it actually projects into a blender display. And um, every frame, every movement is then rendered as an animation in Blender. Can you imagine that? How awesome that would be? And then to attach the metadata behind it. about high fidelity and um, you could have multiple screens open so you could have one window that's rendering the memory and one window that's memory memory showing you the timeline and you could have all those different windows rendering at once and you could be using up insane amounts of GPU to render one second Think about the resources involved there. That would be insane. That would be incredible. Imagine if you had a snapshot of the entire memory of the machine and you would compare the whole thing from one snapshot to the next and then visualize that as some 3D animation and show what operations were done, or even smaller subset like a model. 
And this is what I'm talking about, where we get into actually giving meaning to things. Because we can give meaning through these language labels. And the language labels can be given meaning to people through sensory experience by showing them create like color wheels and all types of user interface items. Yeah, so I'm kind of getting excited about this. I'm liking it. It's aesthetically pleasing to me, this idea. It might even create some kind of neural imprint some kind of road sign in the chaos, a fixed point that I can come back to, a stable location in the chaos, a bubble, a token of meaning, an icon, a stone, a roadside sign, a road sign, a marker, a way marker, a waypoint. I'm liking it. <sighs> okay. See, we started with nothing today, and we actually moved towards something. And that's uh, why I like this uh, walk and talk. Because it also gives me a record. Could point out the exact time and place. Mercer County Bridge, number 102.5, built in 1999, downtown Trenton, <sighs> on Calhoun and Howard, exiting Greenway. So now you've got an actual location. some calories today, let me tell you. Z's Cuisine, specializing in southern soul food. I'm really up too late here. Southern soul food. We have to come back here sometime. Get some southern soul food. Way down south in Dixie. So I'm not eating nothing right now.
Some pretty shady characters out here, let me tell you. Yeah, well, I'm not live broadcasting. So I was thinking about this app from um, Nobody for uh, sharing your position and, and information when you're being harassed by cops, like an emergency system. And um, I was thinking if that could be integrated with a podcasting system or like a real-time talk and chat system with your pod, your cell. Lots of garbage here on the street, oh my god. So, um, so if we continue on this path, this idea, we could also load up the whole thing in a debugger and actually step through it all, right? Like we can script out the debugger, can set breakpoints everywhere. And then we can um, video or record the debugger screen. And in that case, we can see how the debuggers interact. We can record the S traces. We can do all types of recording now. And, um, and have a framework for actually bringing it all together onto a screen. 
some different visualizations, some different dashboards. We could have a whole bunch of them on the screen at the same time. We mentioned that, but I really like this idea. So we have multiple views, and then we can choose to to switch between these different ones. We can choose to switch between these different views in our video, you know, depending on what's relevant and what's important. And I guess determining what's happening and what's important is a question of the director. What's the message we're trying to give? So I suppose we could have many, many different videos created for any one event and different ways to look at it. It's not just one. It's many. So, so. Alternate merge, it says, which is the zip, the zip function. on here. I've had this mask since I've had this mask since February. This dirty mask with my name on it. The Delaware River is so low you can walk across it it seems across it. There's some undersea cables that are exposed in the middle with ducks standing on it. There's the water inlet outlet for the Trenton Waterworks. These ducks don't seem to mind. Now, I was reading on the fishing regulations for the Delaware, and you're not supposed to have more than so many portions of, of food. They have all these contaminants listed. 
And you're not supposed to eat like fish more than once a week, I think, in terms of toxicity. Yeah. So, I'm not too sure I want to eat. Oh my god, look at that fish. That is one humongous fish. Just swimming right down there. I don't know what it is. It doesn't look like a carp. I doubt I could get a picture of it. But it's big. Must be three or four feet long. Gray. Dorsal fin. Side fins. Standard fish. Could be a carp. That's the first time I ever saw a big fish in the, in the Delaware. Yeah, so his idea was that you would have like a 411 thing that you hit a button, it would start recording. Um, and share your location with all your friends so they could come by and save you. But from the uh, police kicking your ass. And it would like stream your video and stuff. <clears throat> and record it. So that's a good idea. When we get into this cat and mouse game, then the next thing to do is the cops are going to just block your internet or set up a block, set up a uh, disruptor field, I suppose. shoes. I didn't bring cash with me, so I can't get a coffee there like I normally do. I have to go to Dollar Tree to get cash again and pay a fee. It seems kind of stupid. We're going to look for an alternative. You know, you hate to support the big corporations over the small corporations. The big corporations allow you to pay with cashless which is good because I don't want to carry my wallet in Trenton on my walk
know what I'm saying? funny because I haven't needed my wallet. I haven't even had it with me for months, weeks. Since I left it up at my dad's house. Silly me. Maybe we should check on our recording now. That prayer to the gods of podcast work last time. Let's do it again. One hour, 26. 72% battery because I've been charging. Take a break and plan our next step, our next waypoint on this trip. So I will see you guys in the next segment. Okay, we have a trajectory, a place to go. I'm gonna go to the Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee there. So we don't have to pay $2 to get cash so we can then get a coffee at the local place. And you'd think, you'd think that the girls who work there could just say, hey, you could just PayPal me the stuff directly, right? Thank you. You could just PayPal it to me directly. But no. I guess that's why they work in a cafe and they're not tech moguls. But they're very friendly. But we're going to try something different today. And look, they have toilets here. This is great. <clears throat> Something's going on here. Coastal diggers. Oh, they're putting up a fence. Nice. How's it going, guys? Hey. So, um, these guys are putting up a fence along the canal.
All right. All right. So we were getting pretty deep. Deep, deep, deep. To the idea of running a debugger. And running all these different diagnostic tools in different windows. And then sampling them. And the more tools that you run, the more samples you can create. Eventually we're going to get overloaded with samples, fill up the hard drive. But nowadays we've got lots of uh, computing power. And uh, we can run smaller examples. So I guess we're kind of getting into the idea of auditing versus assigning meaning. Just because something is audited doesn't mean it means anything. Just because Google has all this data doesn't mean it knows what it is. Just because the computer can identify objects on the video doesn't mean it knows what those objects are. Just because there's some textual representation that can be extracted and some models, they're all just numbers to the computer. So at no point does the computer say, oh, that means something to me. It doesn't. That's a key takeaway here. Now, we can try and assign meaning to things ourselves. But I think if we take this aesthetics model of meaning, it's going to bring us a lot farther. I mean, maybe it's just that simple that people want to see pretty things and look at pretty pictures and feel good. And that's it. That's why I liked uh, the Steve Jobs thing, the Steve Jobs uh, the Steve Jobs uh, interview, the Steve Jobs movie, because it really showed that he brought these aesthetics to people. Like he showed them. He showed them um, what's up. Like he brought the computer to people and they fell in love with it. I guess it was because it was the tiny mirror they could look at themselves with. 
and then they could pimp their posts eventually share pictures of themselves the Instagram gave them that better mirror that more narcissistic uh, view These ducks are really, the birds are really uh, going after each other. We are running dangerously low on coffee here, kids. <sighs> Said Dunkin' Donuts was a mile away, so we're gonna walk it. We're gonna hoof it. Now, some people have these invisible fences. This dog is just standing here on the corner. Just standing there. Maybe it has the invisible fence. Maybe its owner's just right there. Yeah, so. So, um, what we're getting down to here is that we could step through these programs in a debugger step by step, like literally step by step, and then time lapse that. And um, we could record registers, low level, up high level. We have different, the debugger has all types of views. We can get all types of diagnostic views. We can have all hundreds of windows open looking at this program from all different perspectives. And then we can put those all in the blender in the 3D model and have them all ticking away. hundreds of windows of views all getting updated all high-resolution 3d models you can zoom in on and look at it at any point total information overload time will basically stop become wider
because every second of the execution of the program is going to produce gigabytes of data. And what will we gain from that? Just because we can do it, what, what are we going to get? What's the benefit? What's the cost-benefit analysis? When is it superfluous? Redundant. Loop invariant. When do we say, oh, this isn't changing, or we're just in a loop? Let's collapse this loop. We're on a block. Let's collapse this block. And that just becomes different times. So we have the timeline, and we can have our focus at any given point. And interestingly enough, it will only render, even if we have the model, it will only render that particular part. And this kind of gets into the question of licenses. Like if I have a screen shot or screened from a licensed program that has, let's say, GPL licensed. Like, is the screen actually copyrighted? Or are the images copyrighted? Like what part of that becomes then a copyright issue? Then I could say portions of this video are copyrighted by this. We could like put a copyright tag and flag on different parts of the screen. And then that kind of gets into the whole idea of the introspector because if you're using someone else's tool to decode your tool, your data, and part of the stuff on the text is yours, and part of the stuff on the text on the screen is theirs. And that kind of gets into the question of who owns what. So this part of the screen belongs to them, this part of the screen belongs to you. And the fact that your stuff appears in a certain position is a decision that is not necessarily a creative decision. It would be hard to argue that it's a copyright that they actually chose creatively that part in the screen. Maybe the algorithm to choose it could be copyrighted. Now let's look at our map. continue on this canal.
for another intersection. So yeah, we get into some interesting points here, just visually. And in terms of abstraction, it's like, you have a template, you have like this space, you have a form on the screen, you have a cutout, and it's like, these are where the variables go, it's a cutout. This is a cutout that displays my data in this form. And can we mark each byte how it flows through and understand that in terms of auditing? So I'm really liking this, um, this blender analogy. And we're going to look at what previous work has been done on visualizing computing. And then we'll see if any of that is open for reuse. Maybe we can modify that. We can look at what's been done in terms of classical Unix models and diagrams. And then again, look what, what can be reused. So we can bootstrap, I mean, we can reuse blocks visuals tie into existing things. Yeah. So this is all very good. It means more work. But I think we're developing a game plan here. And I think the game plan is we're going to be able to construct models programmatically. using code or intercepting code. We're going to be able to transform code, existing code, to render onto models. We're going to create transformations that will map existing function calls onto 3D models so that we can visualize them. And then we will give meaning, create aesthetically pleasing visualizations by choosing camera positions and points of focus to draw attention, sensory, sensory um, sensory perception to things. And ideally, that will happen <clears throat> some way 
Ideally that will happen. In a way that is understandable. So we're going to make some some video. Fried chicken. <sighs> okay, time for Dunkin' Donuts. Time to get some coffee. I'm going to put this tape on hold. And we're going to continue with this torture, this hammering, for some time. Or maybe we're going to take a break and I'll listen to some podcasts on my walk. Maybe I'll make some phone calls. See what's cracking. Okay, we are back for round three. Segment three, the next chapter. Well, I was listening to chapter eight of the podcast index, and I have some ideas. I'm just going to throw. Them, I'm just going to drop them right here. So this is chapter three or segment three, and we're going to segment this podcast. But I want to put it all out in one episode because I don't want to publish separate episodes. There's just more work for me. So first of all, if you want to skip, <clears throat> well, I believe. And microfunding as the solution for spam. So if you want to publish the fact that you can skip an ad at this point and bump it, then you should pay to put that on the blockchain. Even if it's just a tiny little bit. And if someone likes it, then they could pay you and fund that. And these are just micropayments. Okay, I mean, that's kind of like the idea um, to eliminate spam. Unless, of course, someone is spamming. Oh, I'm getting a phone call. Let me stop. Tape. All right. So, uh, where were we? And I was also thinking, if you could embed code in your RSS feed, which tells you how to decode it. And I was really thinking about how all these different systems have different encodings of memory. And they don't necessarily interface or even mean anything to anyone else. So that's kind of where we're getting at. With this whole introspector, it's like, what is the meaning of a particular application? And how can we expose its model and document it? so that it can be translated and um, I think that's really 
kind of where we're getting at. That's kind of where we're moving towards. Exposing and documenting and capturing and relating and comparing these different models. And I have been doing that consistently over the years. I've been studying them, but I haven't really been formalizing it. Um, <clears throat> but I have been doing it intuitively. And now I think we've reached the phase of the next phase. We've done enough studies. We've done enough collection. Now it's time to actually formalize this. To give it some kind of form. To give it some kind of aesthetic overview. Uh, you know, people will be like, oh, please stop using that word. Okay, I'll stop using that word. Some kind of meaning. Give it some meaning. So that's what we want to do. And um, we want to be able to drop deep meaning in these podcasts and go very deep. And it's more than the transcript, because once you have the transcript, then you try and do the model of what's being said, the things being referenced, right? Once you have the things being referenced and the model of what's being said, you have to have like the definition for all of that, right? To assign meaning to the thing. And it turns into this humongous cloud, this humongous thing. I'm not sure podcast index is going to even want to get involved in all that garbage, but we're going to talk about it on this podcast and we're going to lay out the future foundations and we're going to really going to bring up the rear on this. Where I think that the, um, what we want to produce are videos. And more than videos, we want to produce models. So the narrative is one thing. And the narrative will be accompanied by a, a visual. And that visual will have so many aspects in it and so many choices baked in. And it's going to be rendered. And then the soundtrack is going to come in to help explain a piece, an aspect, highlight something. So, you know, th they were talking about like chapters and like changing, um, changing um, pictures. And I'm talking about a deep, deep, deep uh, model 
something that is so deep that you can't even imagine how deep it goes. Where every single second has, you know, gigabytes of data baked into it. On the visual and on, let's say, the metadata side. So that's how uh, I envision this. <clears throat> that's the goal. And even if we just do a couple of seconds, a couple of frames, and then we could even make still frames and stretch them out. And just do like a pan and zoom on a rendering and have some narration and then go to the next slide. Even that is um, pretty cool. And I like these uh, SVG graphics where you can like do spins and all types of animation in the browser. So maybe we can even render to an animated browser. Maybe we don't even need a video. Maybe we can render the blender to SVG. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? So there's another idea right there. Just crossing the bridge, the train bridge. And we could also render it to HTML. I mean, why not? Like, once we have all this stuff, we can render it to screens. So the rendering doesn't necessarily have to be to a video. There's different ways to render things. Um, it's just the compressing of it down, the bringing it into form, making choices, viewpoints, calling out things that are out of sight and all that fun stuff. And maybe we need to do that on the data level before we even feed it to the blender. So let's check our map. Make sure we're on track. Yeah, it looks like we're almost there. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so we got another couple of minutes for this podcast. And I think we achieved something today, even if we had a slow start. And I think um, being completely awake booted up is uh, actually kind of distracting so it takes me a while to shift a lot of these times I'm getting up in the morning and I'm going straight into podcast so you're getting like the raw cut closer to the subconscious so slow closer to the sleep state <clears throat> the mind is not so active and getting in the way um, yeah so I hope that I've been able to pack these seconds of this podcast with meaning and paint a picture, if you can imagine. I'm thinking we have to um, 
now shift our attention to study cinematography, cinematography, and start studying how movies are made, how stories are told, and maybe we can choose a hero and create a story. Maybe we have to go back to the Greeks with the dramas and the tragedies and the comedies. Maybe we can tell the tragedy of meaning. How the meaning is lost in translation to computer code. Maybe that's the real tragedy. You know, the encoding into the bit and how the aesthetics have gotten lost. Maybe that's the story we can tell. How we're trying to rescue the damsel of beauty from the dragon of chaos and the evil wizard of the bit encoding and how somewhere the damsel is sliced up in the goulash and woven into this fabric of bits and how she can be extracted out magically by the um, the magic of the introspector and brought reconstituted back to life in a new form at a different level in a fractal maybe that's the story we can tell maybe that's the movie <clears throat> our hero goes in to save her This is like the uh, dragon book of compilers, slaying the monster of complexity of compilers with the different tools, the lex and the yak, the shield and the sword, attacking the complexity. And is that not that dragon, the rune stones on the rune? Is that the dragon of the uh, universe? Was it drill or something? Swallowing its tail? So yeah, we can get into some epics try and tie it all together. There's a more like the wizard from the scheme learning. Try and bring some magic back into computing to give meaning to meaningless things. <clears throat> to make rhyme and reason for colors can make charts to try and artistic representations of different parts putting faces on things and hats and beards puppet shows Mr. Potato Head like where's my Mr. Potato Head for Blender you know like where's the the easy way. And we're going to have to get there.
Okay, kids. Bagel trans here. This is my cue for some fresh coffee in the break. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it. And um, I hope you have a great day.